Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We pray also for the, the offerings that are given. We thank you for the ministries we're able to support, the radio ministry, the church plant in Brazil, Bayamba, Ohana here in town, the pregnancy center. And Lord, we just pray that you would take these resources and use them for your glory. We ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We're coming to the end of the book. And Lord, we know we're thankful that in the end, you win. We ask, Lord, now minister to every heart. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. turn your Bibles to Revelation 22. If you don't know where that is, go to the back of the book. It's the last chapter. So if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we started in Matthew uh, chapter 1 on April 14th, 2013. And 10 and a half years later, we get to the last chapter in the New Testament. So when you teach, the, amen. So when you teach the whole counsel of God, you skip over, you don't skip over anything now. It's not the whole counsel because we're only in Ezra. We started in Genesis on Thursday nights. We're in Ezra. I figured out if I do a chapter a week, it's another 10 years before we'll get to the Old Testament. So the Lord may rapture us before that, but uh, we'll talk about that this morning. So Revelation, really quickly. So Revelation, we know, is the unveiling. Apocalypsis is the word. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is letting us get to know our Savior better. The outline for the book of Revelation is found in chapter 1. We know the, it says the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. We see a, the picture of our Savior in heaven in chapter 1. In chapter 2 and 3, we saw the church age, where the seven churches are addressed. And at the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, we see John, who's been given this vision by Almighty God, called up. So where we get the word, it's harpazo, and in, in uh, Latin, it's rapturo, where we get the word for rapture. He's called up, and then we don't see the church mentioned again from chapter 4 until this chapter. And what's taking place during that time is the seven-year tribulation. And during the tribulation period, we'll see, you saw the rise of the Antichrist, the false prophet, mark of the beast, all those things that took place. And then we saw that in the end, the Lord, after having raptured the church, at the end of seven years, he comes back with us. We rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. And the last two chapters of Revelation, we're looking at heaven. And so last week, if you were not here, I told the message, the new Jerusalem, and we saw the citizens of the eternal city. We saw the foundation of the eternal city. We saw the dimensions of the eternal city, the beauty of the eternal city, and the glory of the eternal city. And if you ever want to get caught up, if you miss a message for whatever reason, they're on our website at ccanalevalley.com. Uh, they're also on YouTube. They're everywhere. You can go in and plug in and get caught up. So now we come to the last chapter, and Lord willing, we're going to finish it this morning, but I'm warning you, I have 52 pages of notes, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, so if we run out of time, don't panic. We'll finish next week, but my heart is to finish this morning. So I tiled the message, grab your outline, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Who can say amen to that? Amen. I'm ready for the Lord to come. And we're going to see repeatedly that he talks about, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. So we have seven points this morning. And again, live every day in anticipation of his soon return. Could he come back today? What's the answer? Yes. Is there anything else that needs to happen? No. So we don't know when he's coming. No man knows the day or the hour. 
It could be 100 years away, but it seems to me we're in rapture season, and if we've been paying attention to what's going on in the Middle East, we should not be surprised. Amen? So the, here's the points we're going to look at. So the, one of the gracious things as we look forward, what can we look forward to with heaven? So many things. It's hard to limit them, but first of all, it's changing the curse of this fallen world for the throne of God. When we get to heaven, we're going to be around the throne. We're going to see the river of life coming from the throne. We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, and the curse of sin and death will be gone forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more separation from those that we love, and having an intimate relationship with the Lord. A lost and dying world for the river of life, the tree of life. You thought that was gone in the garden. Guess what? The tree of life is going to be in heaven. Seeing Jesus face to face, ever think about that? I think about it all the time. And you know what's amazing is in our current state, we couldn't really behold him in his heavenly body. But you know what? When we get to heaven, we'll have the capability to see our Savior face to face. We'll see the, that there, the light of the Lord, he illuminates heaven. There will be no more darkness. Uh, how many guys like the dark? I love the light. How about you? I love the light. My, my, it drives my wife crazy. I love the light so much sometimes because I like lights on in my house. And praise the Lord, we'll never have darkness again. There will never be night again. And we will reign with the Lord forever. The second thing, as we look forward to in anticipation of his soon return, his word is faithful and true. May we walk in faithful obedience to his word, live every day knowing he's coming quickly and suddenly when we least expect it. Guys, the word of God is true. The word of God is our foundation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. So the word of God is where we put our faith and our hope and our trust because the world comes along and Satan's rules haven't changed. He always wants you to doubt or question the word. And we'll talk more about that. Number three, worship him alone. We're going to see that even a godly man like John for the second time is going to fall down and start worshiping an angel. And we need to be careful to never esteem anyone who is created to anywhere near the level of the creator. Amen? We worship Jesus Christ and him alone. All men, all women are fallible. We don't worship men. We don't idolize men or women, right? We establish and worship the Lord alone. Number four, don't hide or hinder the truth of God's word. In this text this morning, he's going to tell them, don't put a seal on the book of Revelation. And what he's saying is, don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide it. Boldly proclaim it. Boldly teach it. Now, the sad part is that many churches just steer clear of the book of Revelation. And they steer clear of it because they, maybe they don't understand it. Or they don't know how to teach it. But Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. And the book of Revelation, we'll see some promises that come with it. We must never hide it, never put a seal on it, and boldly teach it with authority. Amen? Number five, Jesus wants us to be ready now. You know, if you're waiting to get ready for the Lord, don't wait anymore. Amen? We don't know when the Lord will come. And when he comes, as we will see, he will come quickly or suddenly. And for those of us who know the Lord, we'll be ready. But we also want to live a life in anticipation that he could come tomorrow. If you're putting off witnessing to one of your family members, 
If you haven't shared your faith with somebody that you know God's calling you to share your faith with, if God's stirring up a gift within you and you're kind of waiting until some event in your life takes place for you to be ready, guys, we don't want to wait to serve the Lord. We should be busy about it right now. Amen? Now, this is totally the old youth pastor in me, but I put number six, don't mess with God's word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't. There are no new revelations. Amen? All new revelations are the beginning of a cult. And what I mean by that is, oh, I, an angel, I ran into an angel out in the woods and he gave me these glasses and, and these golden plates and I read them and it said, the Bible's all wrong and here's how we fix it. And it's called the Book of Mormon. That is a new revelation that is a cult that is wrong, that is satanic. And we need to pray for the Mormons that they'll get saved. Can I get an amen to that? We love them. We want to see them saved. Joseph Smith's a false prophet. But see, this is what happens People that knock on your door and they have a weekly magazine that they print in Brooklyn that they say, here's a new revelation from the Lord. There are, if it's new, it's not true. Amen. He wrote the whole counsel of God. He wrote it down. It is finished, the word of God. We don't need to add to this book and we certainly don't want to take away from it. Amen? No, by the way, and we don't adapt God's word to the culture. I mean, here, I'm sick of hearing, well, the culture's changed, so the word of God, no, the culture changed because it got away from the word of God, and the word of God needs not change. We need to change. Can I get amen to that? And then finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. That's how he ends the book. And I love this, that the end of the Old Testament ends with a warning of a curse, and the end of the New Testament ends with God's grace. Because in the old covenant, we still were waiting for the Messiah to come. And guys, when Jesus came, because of his grace, we will no longer be under the curse. We're no longer under the law. He fulfilled it. Amen. And now, praise God, by his grace, we're going to heaven. So let's see if we can get through all this this morning. And again, if you get a little too hot, we do have the room in the back that's got AC in there. But uh, uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. So it's, let's begin there looking at living every day in anticipation of his soon return, exchanging the curse of this fallen world for the throne of God. It says, and he showed me. So the angel from chapter 21, one of the angels who had both poured out righteous judgment during the bold judgments has also been used by the Lord to show and reveal this heavenly vision to John. So John, as we know, was the last of the living apostles they tried to boil him in oil, but he wouldn't die. He got cast out into the island of Patmos, and the Lord is the one who has been speaking to him here and giving him this revelation of what was about to take place. It says in Revelation 21, And there came unto me one of seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked to me, saying, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So he, this one of these angels, is showing this to to, to, to John the Apostle. And this is what he saw. A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The word pure there, in, used in a Levitical term, means clean, pure, something that doesn't impart uncleanness. And so it looks like it's a, it's a river, whatever it actually is, but it's what we'll be drinking from. And this water comes from the throne of God and flows out. Now, one of the things you're going to see a lot of in this last chapters, in the last chapter, are things that were in the garden that are now in heaven. And when they were in the garden of Eden, they were perfect until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it corrupted it all. When we get to heaven, we're going to see it uncor uncorrupted. 
And we're going to see this river of life. There was a river flowing out of the Garden of Eden that fed you know, all the rivers in, this, in the world, right? And we're going to have that river of life in heaven. It says in Revelation 22, 17, we'll get there. And the spirit of the bride says, come and let you hear, saying, come and let him see if you are thirsty, come and drink. So we will drink of the water that comes from the throne of Almighty God, a pure river water of life. And again, the Old Testament prophets use this as a picture of the expression of God's provision and God's peace. So rivers speak of provision of power and glory and strength. It's clear as crystal, shining, brilliant, clear, transparent. And so can you imagine, and again, there's no way for us to fully grasp heaven, and I'm not even going to try to, but can you imagine we look and there's the throne and this river's coming from it, and the water's going down the street that's paved with gold. And as we walk in, here we see the throne of God and the river of life flowing out of it. And again, we know that water often is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, our Israel trip got postponed for obvious reasons. We were going to be going in January. We'll see when we'll be able to go. But one of the many things I love about Israel that most people don't even talk about, it's called, it's Tel Dan, it's where Dan is the tribe, most northern tribe in Israel, Beersheba's to the south. And when you go there, you see where the headwaters are, where water literally is coming up out of the ground, and it ends up feeding the Jordan River and going into the Sea of Galilee. And it is the most crystal clear, beautiful water I've ever seen in my life, and it comes up right out of the ground. And every time I see it, I'll, there's a little bridge, and I will stand there for half an hour because I'm just so mesmerized by this water coming up out of the ground that literally will fill the Gal Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River where our Savior was baptized. And you know what? When I, think, when I see that and that crystal water and the power from which it came out, that's kind of the vision I get for what's taking place here in heaven. But now it's coming from the throne of God and it is crystal clear. What makes the water so special and unique is its source. Amen? Where is it coming from? It's coming from the throne of God. When I was a little kid, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You guys ever heard that? Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, set the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Well, guess what? That's where this comes from. This is a river of life, and it's in heaven. And one of these days, soon and very soon, we're going to see it. It's the source that makes the water so pure. And so what is the source of this heavenly river? It says there again, it proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Because it's from God, it cannot be anything but pure. Amen? When God creates it, it's perfect, it's holy, it's righteous, it's just. It's a pure glowing life flowing like a river from the throne of God. And notice it says the throne of God and the Lamb. So who do you think God is speaking of in this text? The throne of God. Who's that? That's the Father. And the Lamb, who's that? And have you noticed that in heaven, even though there's one God and three persons, we're, there's separate entities and they're not fighting with each other. They're not battling for, for the throne. They're on the throne together. It's the throne of God, the Father, and the throne of Jesus Christ. By the way, Muhammad's not there. Buddha's not there. Joseph Smith's not there. Amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus said this, and this is a picture of eternal life, this river. Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of the water shall thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him 
will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This river will actually dwell in eternity. It gives life, and the life it gives is eternal. And it's an eternal reminder that the Lord is the source of life. Our God created everything. Jesus Christ created everything. We serve the creator, not the created. If anybody makes Jesus created, they're preaching a false gospel. Amen? He's not the He's not a created being. He's the creator of all things. Before Abraham was, I am, right? He, he says, before, before the lamb, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. A pure water, a pure river of water of life flowing from the throne of the giver of, and creator of all things. Notice what else is there. Look at verse two. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You read this kind of stuff and you get a headache. So the tree of life, where did we see it last? Back in Genesis chapter three. And it was that tree of life was in the garden of Eden. Now that tree of life is in heaven. Now it's hard to understand fully when it says the river runs through the center of it and there's trees on both sides. So either the word tree here could be many trees. So there could be many trees of life, all bearing fruit, going down both sides of this river that's going down the middle over this, you know, golden street. Or it could be, I, I grew up in Santa Cruz and uh, up at Big Sur, they have these trees that are so big that cars drive through the center of them. Literally, they're on both sides. They carve the tree out and it's so big, it flows through it. So I don't know if it's flowing through a very large tree that has roots on both sides, or if there are trees on both sides, but the point is, we'll have the river of life and the tree of life, because in heaven, there will be no death. Because in heaven, there will be nothing but life. Amen? So either side of the river, it's hard to picture this. Again, heavenly landscaping, the golden street, the river of pure water from the throne of God flowing down the center, flowing through the center of the tree of life. Again, are many trees on both sides. Notice it says, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Notice every month, it seems that heaven has time. Now, it says every month it's going to bear fruit. So when we get to heaven, even though Time will be different in the sense that we won't age, so we won't care. Amen? And a lot of people think, here's another thing they'll give you. There are people that think, well, when people die, they go to heaven, and then the people, the rest of us, we come in like a half a second behind them, and they don't know the difference. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe in heaven, there's time. The difference is we won't age, we won't get older, we won't count seasons, we won't have to, but there will be time. So every month, it's bearing fruit. Guess what that also means? We're going to eat in heaven. Amen? And I promise you the food in heaven is going to be better than Wood Ranch. Can I get an amen to that? I love Wood Ranch, but I'm going to love heavenly food better. And the good news about food in heaven, I don't think we'll ever get full. And it, there's no cholesterol and we won't get sick and we can't die. So praise the Lord. Amen? Now, I don't believe we have to eat in heaven because we don't need anything to sustain us because we will have eternal bodies that are perfect. But we can eat in heaven, and that means most of us will be eating. Amen? So we won't age. We won't be subject to it. And I love the tree bears fruit like this because of the river it's planted by. See, even these heavenly pictures are pictures for us for now. 
Right in Psalm chapter 1, it says this, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the ways of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaves shall not wither, and whosoever does shall prosper. So the reason that we have fruitful lives is if we're planted into Jesus. Amen? We have the river of living water, the living water of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. That's what allows us to live fruitful lives that bear fruit. And here we look in heaven, and here is that same picture as a reminder to us. The tree of life is planted by the river of life, and it bears fruit continually. And again, not a doubt in my mind will be eating in heaven. By the way, there's, it's, the Bible says that the tabernacle is a picture of the temple in heaven, of the heavenly things that we will see. And one of the things that's in the tabernacle is a table of showbread. And, every, and what they would do is they would replace that every month and they would feed on that bread. Jesus is the bread of life. That's what it's pointing to. But also there was manna. And so I think there's going to be bread in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Now, again, none of this, this is all trivial stuff compared to the fact that Jesus is in heaven, that almighty God is in heaven, and we're going to be with him forever. Amen. Notice this. This is kind of puzzling. It says, the leaves of the tree were there for healing of the nations. What nations? And why, the, why are there leaves that need to heal the nation? Well, the word healing there means health giving. And this may be a sense that it's used here. The word healing in English is where we get the word for therapeutic. It's, deprived, it's derived of, again, something that, that ministers to your heart. So rather than meaning healing, it should be understood as health-giving. And it's not that the nations are going to get sick in eternity, but that these leaves are still a blessing to us. Again, some of this stuff we won't know till we get to heaven. And, I, and I, what we don't want to do is speak into the silence of Scripture. We don't want to overinterpret something that we don't know what it means for sure. And again, some of the things we'll read in this chapter, we'll find out for sure what they mean when we get to heaven. Look at verse 3. Then it said, he shall be, there shall be no more curse. Thank you, Jesus. Why is there death? Why is there sorrow? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there war? Why is there disease? Why is there hatred? Why is there envy? Why is there hang anger? Why is there pornography? Why are there children being molested? Why, why is there, why is there anger? Why, why do people lie? Why is, all of this comes from the curse. And when we get to heaven, the curse shall be no more. We no longer will be under the curse. We won't have to worry about death. Why did they die? Because of the curse. When they came to the garden, they, were, they would have lived forever. They had not eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was when the curse of sin came, and they had to, remember the Lord sled animals, the covering of sin, the shedding of blood for the covering of sin to cover them in furs. And, and so the curse will be no more in heaven. And so it's hard for us to even grasp what, the, what heaven will be like where all this stuff is gone. All the evil is gone. All the wicked is gone. By the way, Satan's not there. Demonic's not there. The ungodly are not there. There's no enemy to fight anymore. The battle's been won, and we're in the presence of the creator of the universe. Notice what we exchange the, the curse for. It says there, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So we are exchanging the curse that came from God because of our sin, to the throne of God. But notice what it says, and this is going to be a, a gut check for everyone in the room. 
Notice what it says we will do in heaven. A lot of people think, well, when we get to heaven, we're going to float around on clouds and play harps and eat bonbons. That's what we're doing. Some of you are hoping that you get a lounge chair by the crystal sea and angels flying by and dropping manna in your mouth or, or Krispy Kreme donuts or something. You think you're going to go to heaven and you think we're going to get there and it's done. Well, guess what? What does that verse say at the end of it? And his servants shall serve him. Now, for some of you, serving him is exciting. It's a blessing. It's a get to, and we can't wait. For some of us, if our priorities aren't right, we think of serving him as something disappointing because we thought when we got to heaven, we would be done. I, I truly believe this as well. This is Pastor Dave's opinion. I believe that even though we're going to be perfect and holy in heaven, I believe we're going to continue to learn in heaven. I believe we're going to continue to grow in heaven because God's going to continue to do a work in us for all eternity. And so even though we're in heaven and you know, we'll have understanding in heaven and we'll know as we are known and we'll be far beyond be able to grasp, the thing, I don't think the work is done in a sense that God will still be doing a work in us because we will never be God, but we will be growing. And part of that is serving. So it's good to serve. The altar and the throne so heaven will be filled with the glory and the grace of God. And what are we going to do again? We're going to be serving. The word there for servant is doulos. And we, we've seen that throughout scripture. And it means it's a term used for a bond servant. And a bond servant is a slave by choice. It's somebody that they've paid the price. A lot of times what would happen, the servants became servants because they had a debt they couldn't pay. And so what they would do is they would be enslaved for a certain number of years to pay off the debt. Or it would come to the year of Jubilee when all the slaves got set free. So what would happen is if you had grown up with your master and you've been there a number of years and your wife is there and you've had children there, some would say, well, yeah, I can be set free, but I want to stay. And what they would do is they would take them down to the city square and they would drive it all through their earlobe and blood would come from it. And they would then be bound to their master forever, bound by love, not by law. And so a bond servant is someone who is a slave by choice or a servant by choice. And as believers, we are called to be bond servants, serving God not out of contrition or because we owe a debt, but serving him because we love him. And there's nowhere else we would rather go. Amen? Who, who else has the words of eternal life? We want to be in heaven with the Lord. Again, if you just want to rest, we enter into his rest, but God still we are all still works in progress. Verse four. Now watch this. They shall see his face. One of my favorite songs that I will sing when I'm in my car or I'm by myself, and I sing it all, almost every day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Amen. And there's a day coming when we're going to see Jesus face to face. Our Savior who loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Who hung on a cross and the nails didn't hold him there, but his love for you held him there. Can you imagine looking into the face of our Savior? And what's amazing about this to me, and this is going to be a poor analogy, but it's the best I've got. I already know Jesus. I know him well. I know him better than I know anyone. But yet I've never seen him. So my uncle, Eddie, who just went to heaven, who was a seminary professor for 65 years, uh, he was taking German when he was in college, and they gave him a German um, pen pal. And it was a woman 
by the name of Lila Loti. So they were writing back and forth for like three years. And back then, there's no email, there's no text messaging, and there's no FaceTime, right? It's back in the 40s or 50s, 50s. And so they're sending these stuff back and forth, and they fall in love through mail. And they know each other really well because they're writing back and forth all the time. Neither could afford to make phone calls. It's from Germany. So they're writing these letters back and forth. He proposes to her through the mail, and the first time he sees her is when she gets off the plane. But he was already in love with her. Can you imagine what it was like to finally see her? Guess what? We're married to Jesus. And we know the Lord. And we've been, he's been talking to us and ministering to us, but there's a day coming when we're finally going to see him face to face. And I cannot wait. That's one time I might be selfish and want to be in the front of the women and children behind me. Can I get into that? <laughs> but we're going to see our Savior face to face. Praise the Lord. Amen. Two things, again, we shall literally and physically with our risen bodies actually look into the face of Jesus and, again, that our mental faculties spiritually will be enlarged to the point that we can fully grasp who he is, at least in a much better way. Because of Jesus, we can know something of the face of God right now. It says "For it, was, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown our, on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Guys, we already know him. I long to see him face to face. How about you? I hope you do. We'll see Jesus clearly because sin will be done away with. We'll see Jesus clearly because care and worry will be gone. We'll see Jesus clearly because all idols will be done away with. This will be the greatest glory of heaven to know God, to know Jesus more intimately and wonderfully than we ever could on this planet. It's been said that someone who's been in heaven for 30 seconds and sees Jesus face to face has a greater and deeper knowledge of God than the greatest historians who study the Bible for a lifetime. Because when we see him in heaven, it's going to illuminate everything. Amen? And it's going to bring great understanding. Notice it also says this in verse 4, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Heaven will be a place where God's people will forever be identified with him. There will never be any doubt that we belong to the Lord. When earlier, remember that the 144,000 and the people that got saved that refused to take the mark of the beast, they had a mark on their foreheads. It'll happen during the great tribulation. It's a letter ta, but it looks like a cross. It's like a T. And they'll have that on their forehead where the people that have given their life to the enemy, they'll have the mark of the beast. So you have the mark of the beast or the mark of Almighty God. And when we get to heaven, we're going to have the mark of God, that we belong to him, that we're his. And it doesn't get any better than that. You belong to God. Why do you put your name on something to show that it belongs to you? You know, my Bible here, I've had this Bible since 1991. And my name is in this Bible so many times, you have no idea. I even wrote in here my late, all my phone numbers that have changed about 12 different times. And then that shows the top one. It says, this is my current number. Please call reward if found. Whatever you want. I got it. So if you find my Bible, you're a rich man, okay? So the point is that we put our names on things that belong to us, that are precious to us, that we care about. Amen? And his name is going to be on your forehead. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised with all the tattoos going around. Someone hasn't gone out and got that done already. Jesus, you know what I mean? 
don't, I, I didn't tell you to do that, but you belong to God and you are safe with him. It says this in John, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. You know what? He put his name on us because he's unashamed of us. We need to be unashamed of him. We need to quit keeping our faith to ourselves. You know, people are coming out of the closet for a bunch of nonsense. We need to come out of the closet for Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to quit hiding our faith. Don't hide your light under a bushel, right? We, we need to sh- let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And we're living in a time right now that, yes, if you stand up for the Lord, you may be persecuted. Well, he hung on a cross for us. We can have neighbors be mad at us for him. Amen? We can make a stand for him. He's putting his name on us. And I, by the way, I don't like all these substitute names people pick. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on my journey. No, no, I'm a Christian. Amen? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The word Christian literally means a little Christ, a follower of Christ, an imitator of Christ. That's what we should be. And we should be unashamed of the name. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? I'm not religious. I like the word, I like what it means. I, I hate what it, it's come to mean. It means relinking sinful man back to holy God, relingara, it's relinking us to God. But I'm not religious. I have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that I love Jesus and I don't care who knows it and I will shout it from the mountaintops, amen? And we need to be unashamed. He puts his name on us. He's unashamed of us. He could be ashamed of us, but he's not. He loves us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Look look what else. There will be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light, or the sun, for the Lord gives them the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No darkness in heaven. Most of you guys know my son Mark went to heaven two years ago, and one of the things he hated was dark. He just didn't like it. He would always turn all the lights on. Even if we're watching a movie, he just didn't like it. He hated the dark part of his struggle with depression. He hated it. And I, I, I read that and I just started crying. I thought, you know, Lord, he's not in the dark anymore. And he never will be. Amen. There's no darkness. You know what happens in darkness? All the bad stuff. Amen. Nothing good happens in the middle of the night. It's not good. And we don't want to hide in darkness. We want to, and, and the good news is we don't need the sun or the moon because we have the S-O-N. We don't need the S-U-N. Amen. And he will illuminate heaven and it will be brighter than the noonday sun. And praise the Lord for his love and his grace. And notice it says, so, so the creator is never hidden from us in heaven. There's never any darkness in heaven. He created light that will, that will uh, here on earth, that passes away. But in heaven, God himself is the light. It will never pass away. And again, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I do love the light. My wife, again, gets upset with me because I turn on the bright lights and she's like, you know, but I love it. And now I got biblical verses for our next discussion about that. Now, They shall reign forever and ever. Heaven will be a place where God's people enjoy an eternal reign. We'll reign with him for a thousand years during the millennium, but that will be for a thousand years. But when we get to heaven, we will reign with him forever. And that reign with him will never, ever come to an end. Now, I wrote these down and I hope they make some sense to you. So the Bible opens the story of paradise lost, right? Paradise was lost because of the sin of mankind. Now we're going to see paradise returning to paradise 
And because there's no more curse, it'll be perfect restoration. Because the throne of God is in our midst, there'll be perfect administration. Because the servants will serve God, there'll be perfect subordination. Because we'll see him face to face, there'll be perfect transformation. The name on our foreheads is our perfect identification. Because God is light, there will be perfect illumination. And reigning forever, we will permanently, and there will be perfect exaltation of our Savior. Amen? So I'm looking forward to heaven. How about you? Point number two. I'm going to try to get through this, okay? I, I'm, we'll see what happens. God's good. Let's go. Verse six. Then it says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord God of a holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is who keeps the words and the prophecy of this book. The angel and Jesus here speak. And they say, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants. So what he's telling them is everything that you've learned is true. Everything in this book that we're reading is true. What's going to happen on the earth is everything that the book of Revelation has taught us for the last six months. Everything we've read about it, it's going to, the tribulation, the antichrist, the false prophets, the wars, all that stuff's going to take place. God says that that settles it, it's coming. But here's the good news, verse seven, behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words and the prophecy of this book. The people, we're not to just read this book so we can have debates about whether we're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, or all millennial. That's not why he wrote this book. He wrote this book so that we would, it would change the way we live. So that in light of what we know is coming in the future, how now shall we live? Because Jesus is coming back, we should have an urgency to tell people about the Lord. Because the Lord is coming back, we should live with uh, our eyes focused on eternity, recognizing that it's coming soon. Now, a lot of people, when they see the word quickly, they mock. Well, Chris has been saying that for 2,000 years, that he's coming quickly. What's, you know, what's quick about that? Well, first of all, a couple things. The word quickly there could also be translated suddenly. And I do believe he's coming quickly, but he's also coming suddenly. And what I mean by that, when he comes, it's going to be like that. It's not going to be, there's not going to be any warning. We're not going to hear an alarm go off. We're not going to have TV come on with, you know, an emergency thing. It's just like that. He's going to come and it's going to be like that. And all the believers are gone, raptured, taken up into heaven. But I will say this. The Bible also says a day is to a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. So from Adam to Abraham, it was 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years. From Jesus to us, 2,000 years. So since creation, if a day is to 1,000 years, it's been six days. And then notice after six days, what did, they do? what did the Lord do on the seventh day? And guess what? There's your millennial kingdom where he rules and reigns with us for 1,000 years upon the earth. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so if he's coming quickly, he said this two days ago. Amen? Because it it's during, if a day is to a thousand years, as a thousand years is to a day. And guys, we should live every day in light of eternity, recognizing that he will come quickly. It reminds me again, the suddenness of these events, he breaks with the remainder again, coming quickly. Again, it's an ancient word that means, it also can mean suddenly. So his, his, his return can come at any time without warning, and we need to be ready, living every day as if it's today. The early church expected Jesus' soon return, and were they wrong or misled? No. God wants all of us to live every day in expectation of his return, and we should. Amen? So 
Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The blessing reminds us that prophecy gives us a word to keep. Again, not just material to have an argument. Point number three, worship him alone. Look at verse eight and nine. Now I, John, saw and heard these things which I heard and saw, and I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now, is that a good thing? He already did it once before. You guys remember that? Back in Revelation 19, John was overwhelmed and bowed before an angel in worship. In the same way, the angel reminded John that only God is to be worshiped, and they were both you know, players on the same team, along with all those who keep the words of this book. We're fellow servants with the angel. But guys, we don't worship angels, and we don't worship dead saints. Amen? And we don't pray to Mary, and we don't pray to the apostles, and we don't, we don't pray to Mary so she can go tell Jesus because she's his mom. Guess what? She's not his mom in heaven. Is she blessed among women? What's the answer? Praise the Lord for Mary. What a godly example. Amen? Praise God for her. We don't worship her. We don't worship Paul. We don't worship Peter. We don't worship the saints. The whole Catholic Church believes that, they, that Peter handed off the keys. It's gone down to the Pope. Even if that, it's not true, but even if it was, we don't worship Peter anyway. Can I get him into that? We honor God. We worship him and him alone and don't fall into the trap. Here's this godly. Is John a godly man? What's the answer? He's a godly man. And yet he falls into this trap of idolizing an angel. We need to be careful as believers that we don't fall into the trap of idolizing anyone or anything. Amen? Some of you, if you were real transparent, if you ran into your favorite pastor you listen to on the radio at the airport, he's a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Your favorite, your favorite celebrity. That's even more nauseating. Your favorite celebrity. And you want them to scratch their name on a piece of paper so you can show it to your friends and somehow makes you more famous because you were near someone. It's just nonsense. Amen? We worship the Lord and him alone. Amen? We magnify his name. And if John can fall into that, take heed lest you fall. Notice it says there in verse 9, he said, and he said to me, see that you don't do that, for I am your fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. He said, I believe that's how every single one of these saints would respond. The angel goes, don't do that. I love how he just says it. Stoop, stop it. Don't do that. Worship God. You don't worship me. Again, if we worship anyone else, Anyone in the heavenlies, any of the saints that have gone before us, if they could come down, they would rewrite this verse. Stop it. Don't worship me. Worship God. He and he alone is worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. Amen? Now notice, don't hide or hinder the truth in this book. Look at verse 10 and 11. And it says there, and he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He was righteous, let him be righteous still. He was holy, let him be holy still. We'll, we'll, we'll tackle that. But first, he says, do not seal the words of this prophecy. The word seal there is literally to, to hide, to cover up, like to lock that away and, and put it in a cave. Why? Because, oh, it's just too much for people and people can't take it. And I talk to pastor friends and I'll say, they go, yeah, I just don't teach revelation. It's just too difficult then you need to quit being a pastor because you're called to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? And you know what? That's why verse by verse is beautiful because you don't skip over the tough stuff. And yes, I study more for Revelation than any other book because it is. It's, it's, it's thick, but it's not that hard to understand because the word of God is true. Amen? But he's saying, don't hide this book. Don't put this book away. Don't set it aside. Now notice what he says here when he's talking about for the time is at hand. And then right below that in verse 11, what does he say? 
This is some heavy-duty stuff. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was righteous, let him be righteous still. When Jesus comes suddenly, the chances will be gone. What he's saying is when he comes suddenly, the people that are unjust are unjust. The people that are righteous will be raptured. When the Lord comes, and the second coming specifically, when he comes again, it's going to be too late. You won't have a second chance. You can't fix it. There is no purgatory. Amen? There is no... So guys, today should be the day of salvation. We don't want to wait. We don't want... To, there's no second chance. And what he's saying is by the t- when this comes, when he comes suddenly, it's going to bring an abrupt and quick end to every opportunity for everyone to be saved. It's done. It's finished. It's too late. The grace of God has surpassed you now. And then when that happens, it's over. So what he's saying is this is coming suddenly. That's why we need to teach this book so that people understand the prophecy in this book. So they're not surprised when, when what's going on in Israel right now. It's the world that we live in. All these prophecies about Israel that are in the Bible, you know that Israel wasn't even a nation for almost 2,000 years and everybody mocked the Bible? And it's the only nation ever to cease to exist, to come back to existing and have some of its uh, original people come back. People that you know, have heritage came back. Israel is the size of Rhode Island and the whole world's eyes are on Israel. Why? Because that is God's place and that's the place that God has blessed. And we pray for Israel and I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel, amen? God would bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. So these people have no opportunity to repent in eternity. The state you're in when you die or when the Lord comes back is the state you will be in for all eternity. If you're unjust and filthy and lost and have rejected the Lord when you die, you will be in an eternal state where no more chances, too late to repent. But guys, here's the good news. It's not too late now. Amen? There's a day coming when it will be too late, but it's not too late now. But if you are by grace repentant, redeemed, forgiven, born again, a new creation in Christ, made righteous by his shed blood on the cross. We will remain a child of God in heaven for all eternity. Point number five. Jesus wants you to be ready now. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly. How many times is he telling us this? Is this not the theme of this book? I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Now, do works save us? What's the answer? But should believers' lives produce good works? What's the answer? So what he's saying is, it's not a reward of salvation for your good works. It's a reward for your faithfulness to do good works. And when we get to heaven, there's a thing called the Bema Seat Judgment, where we will be given rewards based on how faithful we've been with the gifts that God has given us. And my reward is with me to every man according to to his work. Then it says in verse 13, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Boy, I love this. Boy, I love this. He is the beginning and the end, which means he always has been and he always will be. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the A to the Z and every letter in between. One of my favorite Bible verses, I would say probably my, my, my life's verse above all others that I love is Philippians 1.21, which says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that doesn't mean Christ is first in my life. It means he's first in my life. He's 50th in my life. He's 100th in my life. He's not just first on the list. He is the list. To live is Christ and to die is far better. Amen? When, you, when, when living is Christ, then dying is far better. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's everything in between. He's the creator of all things. He always has been, and he always will be. And what's amazing when you talk about him, people say, well, where is the Lord? Where was he five million years? He was there. Where was he before that? He was there. He's always been there. Well, that gives you a headache because you're a finite man or woman trying to understand an infinite God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and that's the God that we serve. Amen? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega, there's nothing in our life that is too big for him. Whatever that problem is, whatever that trial is, whatever that... He, he said light is and light was. I get this, just got this this week. Well, the world's billions of years old, and the Bible says it's 6,000 years old, so how does that work? Do you know that God created light before he created the stars, so the light from the stars was here before the stars were created? So you're judging something based on the fact that the light, that the stars were created when the light was created, but the light was created first, the light was already here, and then he put the stars behind the light. See, that's our God. Can I get an amen to that? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, and he's greater than anything we will ever face. Look at verse 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, may enter through the gates into the city. This is the new Jerusalem, and those that have surrendered their life to the Lord, the gates are open for us. And look at the next verse. But outside are dogs. Now, some of you just got upset because now you think Fluffy's not getting into heaven. It's not what this is talking about. Dogs are a term for the unclean that the Jews would use. They call Gentiles Gentile, Gentile dogs. And so what they're saying is those who are unclean, those who do not know the Lord, it says are outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. See, as believers... We're not sinless, but we should sin less. And more importantly, the way we view our sin changes. Can I get an amen to that? Do you, do you hate your sin? I hate my sin more than I hate anything. I, I hate my sin more than I hate Hamas, okay? I don't hate them. They need to get saved. But I'm just saying, I hate my sin. Don't you hate your sin? It's, you know why you hate your sin? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You've been born again. It's a down payment on heaven. And when you sin, it grieves the heart of God. And, and what follows it is the heavy guilt and that weight. We want to get right with God. We don't want to carry that around for five seconds. What he's saying is those that are on the outside, and by the way, they're not going to be outside the gate of heaven knocking, trying to get in. What he's saying, they're outside. They will never enter in to heaven. They're going to be in the lake of fire, separated from Almighty God for all eternity. It's too late. But if we know the Lord, we can enter into his presence. We don't enter in because we're good. We enter in because he's good and because of his grace. Amen? Outside, those who are unable to enter the new Jerusalem, again, in what we refer to as heaven. And we go through the list of sins there, but those are all sinful things, sorcery, sexual immorality. It's where you've given yourself over to your sinful behavior and you're not repentant of it. You don't feel even grieved by it. And if you've given yourself to that, you're going to spend eternity separated from the one it requires that we be pure and holy, and he's the one that paid the price for us. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He's the root of David and the offspring of David. That means he created David, and he's in the lineage of David. How is that possible? How can you create him and be in his lineage? You're God. He created David, and then Jesus, of course, we know is the son of David, which is a messianic term, so he's both his creator, and he's the son of David because he came through his line. He is the bright and morning star. He's testifying to the churches of the book of Revelation, and he's letting them know that he is 
The Bright and Morning Star is a messianic title in the Old Testament, Numbers 24, 17, in the New Testament in Revelation 2, 28. And as the morning star, again, he is the one that brings light into darkness. We're all walking in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one that opens our eyes to the truth. By the way, the bright morning star, there's a new day coming. Amen? And we're going to be walking in his light. Then it says here, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He's saying, come. Now notice who it says, say, come. The spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? So this Holy Spirit, and we're the bride. So the Holy Spirit says, come, and we say, come. So here's what it's saying. It's saying, as believers, we should be calling other people to come. Amen? The Holy Spirit draws people by His Spirit, but God wants to use us to say, hey, you need to come to Jesus. You ever heard the term, a come to Jesus meeting? You ever heard of that? We had to come to Jesus. Well, you know what? We need to have some come to Jesus. Amen? We need to be talking to people that Jesus wants you to come. And why don't we tell people? Because we fear men more than we fear God sometimes. I'm glad that someone, Mrs. Green at, in the First Baptist Church in Wellington Sunday School class asked me to come. It was the Holy Spirit who drew me, but God used her. And God uses us to call people to come. And so it's the bride and the lamb. This is the final invitation in the, in the entire Bible. And Jesus said we, we, would be, we should be good inviters, but we wouldn't be until the Holy Spirit came upon us. In Acts 1, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in both Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost part of the earth. You know what makes us good witnesses? We walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. Amen? If you're ashamed of him, I question your salvation. Pastor Dave, I didn't come for this. I love you guys. But I want you to know, if we love the Lord, we should be unashamed of the Lord. And we should be speaking about him boldly. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve what I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're a people you're afraid to talk to, let me, let me in a real practical way, here's what I want you to do. If you've got several people you want to talk to about, coworkers, a neighbor, someone in your family, this is what God used in my life. I was commuting back and forth 72 miles each way to work. My job back in the, this is back in the 80s. And my coworkers were doing coke and sleeping around. It was a nightmare. And I was selling advertising. I just stayed away from them. And I would just kind of be disgusted by them. And then God pierced my heart one time like, well, who's praying for them? So I got a list of 212 names, put it in my car, and started praying for these people by name every day on my 72-mile commute. I get like 20 names and just pray for them. You know what happened over the next couple of years? I witnessed to every single person in that office. Oh, not because of anything I did, but you know what prayer does? Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. And I encourage you, start praying for people by name. Lord, give me an opportunity to tell them about the Lord. Lord, show me how I can minister to them. Lord, show me. And watch what God will do. That's a prayer that God will answer every time. Notice he says, let him who wants to come, come. Anybody can come. Salvation is offered universally, must be accepted individually. If you thirst for living water, come and drink of it. He's not keeping it from anyone. He calls us unto it. But most people, sadly, will just walk away and reject it. The one that comes knows their need, and he's given them what they need. And the invitation is offered universally. Notice it says, whoever shall come. Whosoever shall come, so you can come. Well, I, well, my background, doesn't matter what your background is. 
The Lord loves you. Look at verse 18 and 19. Don't mess with God's word. It says, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. How many plagues were in this book? How many judgments came down? How many things were poured out upon me saying, look, if you add or take away from this book. Now, most people believe he's certainly speaking of the book of Revelation, but these are the final verses of canonized scripture. So I think it's fair that we can apply it to the whole book, right? Because he's put it the very last part of the very last book. And why is he doing that? Certainly it speaks directly of Revelation, when you witness to a Mormon, you'll quote this verse off and they'll go, that's only revelation. It's not talking, well, you've messed up revelation too, so you've already blown it. But we don't add to the book. Amen? We don't change the book. We don't mess with the Bible. Amen? God will add to him. How arrogant you must be to think you can improve on God's word. Can you be any more arrogant than thinking you know more than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And have you ever noticed the guys that add to the book are always more man-centered than God-centered? They add things like, well, I get to be God of my own planet, and I can marry as many women as I want. Well, yeah, that sounds like something that the Lord would write, not a man. Amen. And so often what men write are things that please their flesh. We don't add to the Word of God. We don't take away from the Word of God. And people love to remove or tamper with verses that condemn their lifestyle. They'll read a verse that condemns their lifestyle and go, yeah, I don't believe in that verse. Guys, this is not a Chinese menu. You don't get to just pick A and B, call them. That's not how that works. It's the whole counsel of God, all of it. Amen? And you don't pick and choose and take things out. Well, that is offensive to my lifestyle, so I reject that. There was a Jesus seminar. They voted on verses in the Bible. They had white marbles and black marbles. If one person blackballed it, they lined it out of their Bible. That was not a Jesus seminar. That was a Satan seminar. Amen? Notice what it says in verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophet... God shall take him away from his part of the book of life, from the holy city, from the things that are written in this book. Now, some people will use this to say that you can lose your salvation if you try to change the Bible. Here's what I would say. If you're foolish enough to try to change the word of God, you were never saved to begin with. Amen? Your name will not be in the Lamb's book of life. And you know what? Some people, even if you want to interpret that way, you'll lose your name. Well, don't mess with the Bible. You won't have to worry about it. Can I get an amen to that? So how serious is he about taking things from the word of God? All things are written in this book. Don't mess with the Bible. Don't add, don't change, don't take away from it. Final two verses. He who testifies of these things says, what does he say? I will come quickly. How many times has he said that in this chapter? What does he want us to leave here with this morning? The Lord is coming soon. We need to be ready. None of us has the promise of tomorrow. Even if the Lord doesn't come today, we might not live past today. Amen? And we need to be ready and prepared for the soon return. We need to be ready and watching. And we need to be busy about his work until he gets here. We want to, when the Lord comes back, I pray that I am found busy about his work. How about you? I want to be faithfully being used by God when he comes for us. And here's the last words of the New Testament. And it says there, amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know what that word is? It's Maranatha. How many guys are Christians in the 70s? Just old people like me and my brother in front. We used to say Maranatha all the time. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Amen? Maranatha. 
And that should be our heart. But notice what he says here, the last verse in the New Testament. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What's the last word? Amen. So when people say I say amen too much, I'll just point to this right here. The last word in the New Testament, amen. So be it. Praise the Lord for it. Now, the last verse of Malachi pronounces that there will be a curse upon the earth. It says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. He's, t- he's warning them. So the last verse in Malachi 4, 6 of the Old Testament is talking about a curse. And I love how fittingly in the New Testament, it speaks of God's grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of God is offered to everyone in this room. The grace is freely given, but it must be received. God will not force it on you. Salvation is offered universally, must be accepted individually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough to say you believe that he exists. But have you been born again? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you, have you recognized that you're a sinner? What first must take place to be born again is the word is repentance. My life is headed in one direction. I'm on the throne. I'm living my, will, my way, my will, without a relationship with the Lord. Repent means to recognize I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. Repent is a change of mind or a change of heart. You no longer walk in that direction, but now you surrender your life to the Lord. And you say, I don't want you to just be my Savior, but my Lord. I want to surrender my life to you. By the way, when the Lord comes into your life, he's not going to take away the things that are good for you but he's gonna help you walk away from the things that bring you harm. And he's gonna bring joy to your life. He's gonna give you the assurance of your salvation. You'll know in the depths of your heart that you've been born again. He gives you a down payment on the person of the Holy Spirit who will walk with you. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, no one will ever be able to snatch you out of his hand. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord. He comes quickly. Are you ready? If you were to come today, If you were to come today, would you spend eternity in heaven or separated from him? If you're here this morning, never give your life to the Lord, I just ask you, raise your hand right where you are. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that you allowed us to get through the entire New Testament. We praise you for that. But Lord, we know that we're not finished. We need to read it again and again and again. Amen. We're never done studying your word. We're all works in progress. Be glorified in our lives. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.